This is episode 9 of the BTS Creative Academy podcast. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Joining me in conversation is Phil Dapp. Takes you back to those days when you first heard yourself on record. Just talk for me for a moment. Hello, hello. Incy Wincy Spider. So don't be afraid to talk into it. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. Where's the pack of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? So I'll start with a clap because that'll help sync the audio and the video. As good as a clapperboard. Yeah, it does the same job. Can't afford a clapperboard yet. <laughs> so, hello Phil. Hello Martin. Hello, thank you for uh, joining me. No worries. On the Creative Academy podcast. Yes. I hugely appreciate you being here this Fine. morning. Not a problem. So uh, tell me, Phil, what have, you, what have you been up to recently? What have I been up to recently? Yeah. What, from a creative point of view or on anything? No, just in, in life. Anything point of view. Yeah, I've just come I back from... I see you swimming in the sea recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just come back from Cornwall. Um, it, was our, um, it was our 20th wedding anniversary on the 7th of August. Nice. So, quite an achievement. Um, myself and my wife, yeah. Increasingly so. Yes. By the, by the, amount, of, <laughs> by the amount of congratulations I've got. And actually, funny enough, I was I was running a um, I was running a theatre course for a group of international students at Bishop Stortford College uh, recently, just before we went away. And um, and I said, oh, I'm not going to be here next week because I've been running it for quite some time. So I'm not going to be here next week. I've got somebody coming in to cover because I'm actually going away because it's my twentieth wedding anniversary. And there was this intake of breath, and they kind of all went, oh, well done, and then started clapping, and I was like, blimey. Yeah, you deserve a medal, Is don't that? you? <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose in some way, yeah, increasingly rare nowadays. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was our 20th wedding anniversary, um, and we went to Dartmoor, um, went down to, we've got friends in Cornwall, got family in Cornwall, so we went to stay for a few days, but on the way down, we stayed in, um, we stayed in a, a village called Chagworth, um, in Dartmoor, um, and we spent a couple of nights there. Uh, and yeah, I, so I go open water swimming um, quite regularly. I go at Red Ricks Lake in um, just outside Harlow. Okay. And we go there, but because we were away for a week, I'd set myself a challenge of going open water swimming every day for a week. So it was fine when we were down in Cornwall because you just go in the sea. Yeah, but when we were in Dartmoor, we had to seek out a few places. And we went for a walk. Um, in this village called Chagworth and followed the river and then came to this weir um, and we went, we went in there for a swim but it was freezing mm. even though it was August it was absolutely freezing but it's good it's good for the mind oh yes good I, for the I, mind good I, for I'm, soul is, is this a health benefit doing this oh yeah I, I, well it is a health benefit I think more than anything it's a mental health benefit yes yeah. from my point of view I just find it um it kind of, what does it do? It sort of just puts me in a place that makes me go, yeah. I think, and also physiologically, it kind of shocks Stimulates you the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, uh, I, I, I got behind cold therapy. Yeah. Um, so I haven't done swim, cold swimming. Right, okay. Swimming. I think I'm a little bit scared of the fishes, to be honest. The fishes <laughs> and the weeds. Yeah, in Red Ricks Lake, the... this time of year, the weeds grow quite high. Yeah, and the river and you find yourself swimming or... across the top of them. and Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not too keen on that bit, but the cold water, yeah, yeah. I discovered myself about 18 months ago. Yeah. Uh, through Wim Hof, have you heard of him? Yeah, he, was, yeah. he, did that, um, he did that TV show, didn't he? 
the yeah, one so with, I haven't um, actually seen that TV show. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh. No, no, I discovered well, they, like, they took about eight thing. celebrities, didn't they, out into um, the Antarctic or whatever. Oh, I heard about it, but I didn't know that it had actually been out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, I need to, I need to check that out then. But yeah, I, it's it's changed my life. Cold, cold water. I was, I'm, I'm nearing forty, uh, and about in my mid thirties, I started aching. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My my joints ached, my bones ached. I felt yeah. tired all the time. I, I thought I was developing arthritis yeah. or, or dying. Yeah, <laughs> one of the yeah, two. One of the two. Hopefully, um, the former. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I, I, someone showed me this this cold water therapy, and I thought, oh, this is bloody horrible. <laughs> like, I'm never gonna do that. Um, but I thought, no, my this pain in my my hands and my feet are getting right. really bad. So I've got to do something. So I went to the doctors and they did loads of tests and said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um, so they said, have you tried any alternatives? And, and that's the route I decided to try. And I started okay. off doing cold showers. Yeah. Like I'd have a normal shower. Yeah. And then just turn it down at the end. And then turn yeah. it down at the end and do like 30 seconds. Um, and that was 18 months ago. And now I do a daily cold plunge. Have you got one of those... Plunge pool, like a barrel. Plunge. Yeah, it's basically a it's basically a giant paddling pool. Right, holes. Um, it's about it's about two foot by four foot high. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's filled up with fresh water every week, and I put a few trays of ice cubes in it before I before I go in, and uh, that's how I start pretty much every day now. Fantastic. For, for at least five or six minutes. How uh, you're in there for five or six minutes? Yeah, yeah. And I'm aiming to. My hope is by the end of this year that. The optimal is 15 minutes, okay. apparently. Um, so that's what I'm trying to get to by the end of this year, 15 minutes into the cold plunge. That's interesting because I actually do, I, I do suffer from arthritis mm -hmm. and there's something come on in the last, in the last couple of years. Um, and I've got same sort of thing as yourself. I, I, I got real pain in my right hand, my right shoulder. Um, and then that spread into my left hand, a difficult gripping hold of things properly, really. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I um, went for a whole process of different, um, seeing different people. They sent me to a physio to start with and said it might be carpal tunnel syndrome. Eventually ended up seeing a, um, a rheumatoid specialist and they had diagnosed arthritis, but, but I think they call it seronegative because none of the blood tests are picking it up. Are picking it up. Right, okay. Yet they do um, they do ultrasound scans mm -hmm. and yeah, it's Oh I didn't see I didn't get that far any of the testing. Right. I just simple blood test and just told no, you, no, don't worry about it. You're too young kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not it's not happening. It's not happening. You're not you know, it'll go away kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the cold, I'd I'd recommend then trying to try yeah. a cold plunge. I've, I've, I've sort of got into that. I mean, the cold water swimming, the, the open water swimming. Yeah, that, must, of, that must be a huge, a huge yeah, help. Yeah, that is a huge help. But I have never sort of managed to get into the regular, everyday cold water thing. Mm. I'm going to do it now. I, I, re I regret it on days I don't do it. Right, okay. So I would, every day I do it, I feel good. Right, yeah. I feel awake in the mornings, which yeah. has been a problem throughout my entire life, mornings. <laughs> I am not a morning person. I would, yeah. I, a lot of jobs I've had, it would take to at least 11, 12 o'clock before I'd have yeah. communication, yeah. when I'd go into like an office space or somewhere, and I'd just be, I just couldn't cope. Whereas now, well, it's 10 o'clock, yeah. and I feel awake. Oh, you know, I, I went to a rave last night. You went to a rave? Yes, I'm not joking. I went to a rave last night. When did you night go to a rave? 3 a.m. 
I went to a rave in heaven. Do you know heaven? Nightclub. The nightclub in central right. London. Yeah. Uh, a musical theatre rave. Oh my word. <laughs> yes, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. There is something very different about when the bass drops on Defying Gravity yeah, yeah, in the yeah. nightclub. Um, and you're surrounded by people of, of, of a similar interest. Everyone's yeah. there just having yeah. a good time because they love musical theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it, it was a very surreal experience, an enjoyable experience. How did you get, what, how did you find out about that? I just, just... A, a friend had offered tickets. Oh, okay. Um, they, a friend had found it, um, and yeah, and said, "Do you want these tickets? Because I can no longer go." Right. And so yeah, went to that, and it was a uh, yeah, a huge. Like I, I'm not up for raves anymore. <laughs> but this was this was some this was something different. This was a, a very different night. But going back to the the cold water, if I'd have done that a few years ago, yeah. and then tried to do this the next day, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be functioning. Wouldn't, yeah. And um, I would say that cold water is what's Mm -hmm. Yeah, what sorted me out? Interesting. It doesn't just—it isn't just good for the body. It's good for the mind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. As well. Yeah. That 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 stimulation and that wake up and I've 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 read somewhere that it's um it's as addictive as cocaine because of the stimulation right, okay. that it wakes up within the brain. Okay. But it's not as damaging as right. Okay. So yeah. I do, do you um, find that then? Do you feel addicted to it? Yeah, like I say, right. I regret it on days I don't. Yeah. Do okay. It. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel good. That's that's a yeah. good thing to be addicted yeah. to, isn't it? It is, yeah, feeling good. Yeah, because I've had enough of feeling bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. There's plenty of things we can get addicted to that don't do you any good. Yeah, yeah there is. And that's, and that's one of the things we're trying to talk about on the podcast as well, is about things that feel good in your life. Yeah. These, and for me, it's um, doing creative things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're someone that I've look to over the years as sort of a you know I, I, I know you fairly well I've been known mm -hmm. you for 20 years and I've I think we've done a couple of productions together it's a long long time ago in a galaxy far away what were you in uh Jack and the Beanstalk right yeah uh, West Side Story oh of course the West Side Story the the first time the one that Jan directed yes 2003 yeah. yes a long long so yeah, yeah 20 yeah. 20 years ago. 20 years ago but yeah, I've always looked to you as someone that you're pursuing this uh, creative life um, and you're doing well from an outsider. <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. As an outsider, no, you've, 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 you've pursued yeah. a, a fairly successful creative yeah. life um, and been quite a cultural leader within the local landscape. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah I, I I suppose in some respects I have. Um, I think it's interesting when you say you've um, you know you've 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 been successful. And interesting that you sort of then said from an outsider because mm -hmm. I think that is that's such an interesting thing because I you know from from my own point of view I have um, I've suffered from my own mental health at times. And often do spend a lot of time kind of thinking, oh, I haven't, haven't, haven't done what I wanted to do or I haven't achieved that much. Mm -hmm. And then often get told from the outside, of course you have. Yeah. And then it's that classic kind of scenario of, 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 of the difference between a perception from the outside and the inside. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's why interesting. Do, why do you think that is? Why do I think... That you, that you feel different to the, the perceived? Um, I, I think that's fairly natural. I think, I think often, uh, I don't know, is it, is it the, the motivations for doing things are, are, sometimes, are sometimes different? I find, I mean, when I'm, in, when I'm involved in a creative project, I can get lost in it. Um, and, and I find that quite fulfilling. When I'm, when I'm not, or I'm on the periphery of different things or, or whatever, I then, that's when I tend to struggle quite a bit. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I'm sort of like trying to, trying to fill time with, with different things. And then that often, that, that, that doesn't feel quite so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. If that makes some sort of sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Life is very different when you're involved with the yeah, creative yeah, yeah. aspect, doesn't it? It feels, yeah. um, you feel like you're, for me, I feel like I'm in some kind of flow state. I'm in a different state of being. Yes. But I think the other thing is, is that from, from a career point of view, when you're, when you're involved in, in, you know, in, in the creative industries from a career point of view, it, it does become work at times, do you know what I mean? And then that's difficult because it be, it, when, when it becomes work and it feels like work and sometimes you get up in the morning and it's like, oh, I don't really feel like doing that. When, when you know, the idea of running a theatre session with a whole load of young people makes you go, oh, blimey, here we go again. Mm -hmm. you, you do have to kind of check yourself and go, hang on, be careful there. But when it, it's, it's easy for it to start to feel like work. And then, of course, people from the outside always, you know, they'll go, what, you know, what do you do? I run a theatre school. Oh, you're so lucky. Do you know what I mean? And then you go, am I? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am, I suppose, in some respects. Because I'm not doing what other people tend to do. I mean, I, one of the interesting things is I, 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 I sort of find, I, I know that all of, all of my kind of, you know, the, the positive aspects of my lifestyle come from being creative. And I kind of pursue that. A lot of the time when I'm, when I'm not, that's when I feel quite down. And I do sometimes, I sometimes I find myself walking down the street and I look around and, and I see how many people there are that aren't involved in creativity. And sometimes think, wow, what? What, what goes on in your what life? What goes on in your life? You know what I mean? What? And I don't know whether that's because if I didn't have... The ability to be creative, I I don't know. I think I'd be a I think I'd be an absolute psychological mess. Yes, and, and same. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah. I just think I'd be a mess. I, I you know. Same to the point that, that that's part of doing this podcast is I want to try and find a way to spread that mm -hmm. because I feel like this is so important to to my life. Um, it's become very important to my children's mm. life as well, um, and I kind of feel like. I don't want people to not do this. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I look and see few, but I feel like we, I feel like we might be in a time of few and few people are sticking with this as adults. Yes. As adults, everyone's getting wrapped up in all these things that we have to do. Yeah. To survive. Yeah. But not looking for, for the enjoyment possibly. The enjoyment of just being creative. The enjoy, the enjoyment of being creative is, um, being part of communities of people with the similar interests. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a really key thing. That's a that's a really big thing, and that's um, I think in, in in from from my point of view, 
when I don't have that kind of community of people around me, that's when I notice it the most, and that's when I that's when I realise what it actually gives me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because at the moment I'm going through a period of, of of not having that that kind of community around me so much because often that that's been based around the two places that I've worked because obviously I was at the Playhouse in Harlow um, for blimey seven, eight, no, nearly ten years, nearly mm-hmm. ten years there. And was. Uh, get, tell me if I'm wrong. Was that sort of the beginning of your sort of like creative life and creative journey? Yeah, the Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, beginning of my creative life as a career. Yes. Yeah. Um, not not sort of obviously from the point of view of I've always I've always kind of like been involved in 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 theatre. I've always kind of like strived a bit to feel like a bit of an entertainer. I remember when I was at primary school. Um, I remember being in the playground at primary school and setting up a little a little theatre company for want of a better for me and a couple of mates putting on some shows at playtime yeah. and whatever. And then I was in a couple of productions at primary school. I remember I played Lord Nelson. I've still got a photograph of me with a big <laughs> big paper sailor hat on playing yeah. Lord Nelson in some production at primary school. Um, and then w- went into high school. Uh, was involved in in theatre, not so much during my high school sort of time. I went to sixth form um, and we set up, um, a couple of um, friends set up like a, a, a review company and we had this um, this sort of comedy review company that we set up while we were in sixth form. Um, and then I, very, I, I sort of left and then just got a job. Yes. It was really interesting in that I... I I don't know whether it was my upbringing, you know, my, my dad was, was a mechanic in a local factory. My mum was, a, was a, a, a kind of an administrator for a newspaper. She worked for a theatre company at one point, and I remember that being really um, quite interesting. But I, I never sort of perceived the idea of, of, of the performing arts being a as a career. career as a job. It was just something you enjoyed. Was it a spare time hobby? Yeah, it was a spare point? time hobby. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think it's interesting in that I don't really know why that was the case. I kind of toyed with the idea of wanting to go to drama school, but never got beyond sending for an application form, having an application form come back, looking at it, and not sending it off. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It just. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't have. I wasn't a member of a. That you know, there wasn't a, a real sort of a, a, a large creative community that I was ever a member of it was I was always sort of it was the local amateur society or as I said as the stuff that we did when we were at sixth form but there was never anything that encompassing and I never really came across role models that, that I could identify with that that made me go oh I could do that do you know what I mean they, they everyone seemed to be accountants doing a bit of drama on the side, do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So the, yeah. I think that was the issue, was that there was never... There was never a path. No, there was that. never a pathway mm-hmm. through. And it was the it was the kind of 80s and it was Thatcherism and the whole idea was go and get yourself a job and, mm-hmm. and that was quite appealing. So I, I left sixth form and got myself a job and I worked for an insurance company for a, for a short while and then just looked in the newspaper and saw an advert for a... A trainee negotiator for an estate agency company, but it was a company car. Oh, you know, that's a swinger. So, um, and I applied and got this job, and then ended up 
in, in, a, in a state agency for 10 years. Um, and I look back now and go, how crazy is that? You know, to have, to have such a little ambition. If stuck there, I guess. If, <laughs> so again, if you were still there, that would be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. but, but, but the fact that, you know, that just literally perusing a, a local newspaper and seeing mm -hmm. an advert can, you know, well, we, that, we, that advert could have been for anything. And I think in this life, we, you know, we do have to do these jobs, don't we? Yeah. We, we're going to want things. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to, you know, most um, of us want our own place to live yeah. and a car and to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't necessarily, it's like, like I said, it's not a clear path. No. If you go into theatre or into film or something like that, it's not, oh, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, yeah. get these qualifications, get this job to this job and have a career yeah. progression. That's true. Whereas in it, being an estate agent, yes, there is yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. There Absolutely. are certain things you can do. There yeah. are targets you can meet and yeah. you can yeah. progress and and get those finances yeah. and build and build a life yeah. through that. But that's, yeah. So I, so I ended up, yeah, ended up as uh, working in an estate agency I still had, when I first initially did it, I was down in, um, still living down in, in Ipswich in Suffolk and and still being involved in theatre. And I, and I actually, whilst um, whilst I was an estate agent, set up a, a little review company and we did the same sort of thing that we'd done in sixth form. We, we, um, we did sort of like two hour comedy review shows and we, we had a, a small hall in Ipswich that we hired out and we did one there and then we took it out to a couple of other places and we hired out Felix Stowe Sports Centre for a show once and remembered um, just selling tickets by walking along the beach at Felix Stowe and giving out. So it was, it was interesting actually, because it was very much kind of Edinburgh fringe kind of culture sort of thing, but, but just done down in Ipswich there. But then we never, I didn't, I didn't really understand what Edinburgh fringe was. And so it was, one of, it was one of the things that I look back now and go, gosh, we could have taken that to, to the fringe but didn't because once again didn't really know what that was yeah. but we were doing that sort of stuff and we hired this sports center out and did a review and set off some smoke um bombs in a in a sketch about star trek but hadn't told the hadn't told the organizers <laughs> that we'd set them off and of course the alarms went off and emptied the entire sports center swimming pool all the gymnasiums all the courts everything and we ended up on the front page of the local newspaper that was my, my kind of <laughs> beginning with a face <laughs> yeah it was on the local paper sports center evacuated um and um and then that, the fire brigade turned up and checked it all and then everybody went back in and we finished this sketch and and then finished the show um so yeah so as i said it was at that point i was earning money i was working in a different career and i was doing it as a as a sideline and and what were your memories are these fond memories were these good memories yeah yeah they are yeah they're, they're, they're fond memories good memories as i said i, I kind of look back and there is a part of me that looks back now and wonders why at the time there was never any aspiration to take it any further or make it you know or to, it was always just something that i was doing but but i I don't is, know. I, is, I, is it something to do with the, you mentioned earlier about the motivation? The motivation, was that different then? I don't know if, I don't know if the motivation was different. I think, I think when you're younger, you, you, you spend a lot of time thinking you've got all the time in the world. So therefore, 
there's, there doesn't seem to be an urgency about mm. anything. I think, I think that, um, you know, maybe there was a part of me thinking, oh, well, you know, one day yeah. I'll be famous doing this or whatever, but, you know, I'm only 25 or whatever, you know. I don't know whether that's changed now because you speak to people at 25, 26 who are panicking about the fact that they're not doing what they're... Yeah, the world is definitely a different place yeah. now than it, than it was. I think then. it is. But I think, yeah, maybe there was a part of me that, that sort of... Yeah, you feel like you've got all the time in the world and... I think now there's this, uh, it's more of, not an urgency of time, but the peer pressure. Yes. The peer pressure is different now. Constantly yeah. seeing, everyone sharing their That's best life. That's social media, isn't it? Yeah, That's everyone's life. sharing their best life on yeah. social media. But yeah. more often than not, isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Because you're only sharing the best, the highlights. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. you're not sharing Most people just... Between. Share that, you know, just look through those smiles. Exactly. <laughs> and, it, and, and especially with like uh, relationships and things, people that, that share how lovely their relationships yeah. are often the ones that are in trouble, yes. aren't they? Yeah. How many times do you do you see that where, yeah. where something then falls to pieces and you're like, but they, but they look so lovely, they, they look, look so, so happy. happy. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's there is true. a. Made me feel bad now about all yeah. the wedding anniversary. <laughs> 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 But um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know, because I, I kind of, I sort of fell into, in the same way, interestingly, in the same way that I sort of fell into an estate agency career, I, I kind of fell into a, 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 a full-time creative career as mm -hmm. well, because I was, um, I'd, I'd moved to, to London to, because my, my girlfriend at the time, who was a radiographer, moved to a hospital in, in London, um, and I could very easily have kind of just gone, oh, that's the end of the relationship, um, and and just left it and stayed down in Ipswich. But I didn't. I I was. I remember it being a bit of a dilemma at the time, and that you know, and I I thought the world of her. And she was moving up to London, and and we carried on the relationship. And she lived in London, and I was in Ipswich, and we sort of saw each other occasionally, every other weekend or whatever. And then it was clear that this is not going to work like this, and and. And the natural thing, I think, would have been to have gone, this is not working, you know, because I've got a job down in Ipswich and I've got quite a good lot of friends down in Ipswich. But I didn't. I, I suddenly went, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to London. I remember spending an evening with a mate of mine. This is kind of indicative of how sometimes you don't know what's going to motivate you. But I had a friend of mine, a guy called Clive, who was a financial advisor. And, and I was going through the stage where my girlfriend was up in London and I was working for this estate and she's down in Ipswich. And he was a friend of mine. He was working at the branch in Ipswich. And I went out for a drink with him one night and he said, um, you should move to London. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He went, you know, move to London, mate. Well, go up and spend time with Lisa. And like, there's far more opportunity out there. Go to London. And I was like, oh, wow. And, and just then went, yeah, why not? And sort of just did it. And at the time, I was very much kind of a local boy, very much sort of, you know, this is where I come from. There was a part of me that, you know, I always thought that, you know, so you drove onto the inside of the M25 and there were hooligans hanging from underneath the bridges ready to mug you as soon as you got anywhere near London. It was that kind of sort of scary place. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't. I, I just, I sort of got up and the next morning I walked into work and I resigned and literally then just phoned up my girlfriend. I said, I'm going to come... Is there space at your place that I can I stay with you, you for a while? I'm going to come to I'm going to come to London. She was like, Oh my god! And I did, and I packed everything up and I stuck it in the back of a car, and I drove to I drove to London, um, and to start with, ended up um, 
getting an estate agency job up there, but I, I sort of moved to London and had fun up there and worked for an estate agency branch there. But while I was, um, while I was working for a branch in North London in Palmer's Green, and, um, and there, was a, there was a guy that worked in the branch called Stuart Miller. Um, and he um, came in one morning and he said, oh, you do a bit of theatre, don't you? And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, oh, he said, we're doing a production of Grease. Um, and the guy that was playing Vince Fontaine has just dropped out. Do you fancy doing it? And I was like, well, yeah, have a look. Um, and I hadn't done anything for a while, actually. I hadn't done anything um, that much. Um, and I didn't know where Harlow was. I was in Palmer's Green in North London. And I got this, um, you know, I'd had this conversation. And he said, I'll come down on Wednesday night or whatever it was. And I went down and I half expected it to be a village hall or whatever, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And I got there and it was this 400 seat, like proper theatre. It was mm -hmm. like a proper, a, a pro I can always remember thinking, blimey, this is yeah. like a proper theatre. Can you remember um, your first time walking in that, that building? Because I can, for me, that's a very vivid memory. The first time I walked in the there. The, the first thing I saw was, um, was a production of Jack and the Beanstalk. All oh, right. Which, uh, yeah, no, I, I tell a lie. I've got this slightly the wrong way around because actually he was in Jack and the Beanstalk. Stuart was in Jack and the Beanstalk and said, come down to see it. And I went down to see Jack and the Beanstalk at Christmas and I was like bowled over by the fact that it was this, yeah, I remember the first time I went in there because I went in thinking oh, I'm going to see this amateur production <laughs> and it was this full-on, full-blown, proper big production in a 400-seat theatre, you know, yeah. with professional set and... Mm -hmm. And whatever, and I can remember thinking, "Blimey, this is this is amateur theatre on a scale I've, I've never witnessed." Mm. Um, and then it was after that one because that was at Christmas, and then they were doing Greece. Can't remember when, but around maybe the 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 the, the March afterwards. Um, and that was when I got involved in um, in being in this production of Greece, and I played Vince Fontaine, and then I ended up. Um, doing a couple of other things, did some stuff up in the studio theatre. Um, and these are as, as an actor? As an actor, yeah, yeah doing stuff. We did uh, Daisy Pulls It Off, um, which which Jan Stacy directed. Um, and um, and then it shut. That, and I, that was a bit of a shock because... Was I, that, I, I was that around 96? 90, yeah, 95, 96. 95. Oh no, actually before it shut, I was involved in... Oh no, I was involved in a couple of pantos before it shut. So yeah, it must have been actually... This is, I'm getting my timings wrong here because actually I got involved and then I was in um, uh, Puss in Boots, which was after Jack and the Beanstalk. So I'd done Grease and then I did Puss in Boots and I was the dame in Puss in Boots. And then the next year... We did uh, Robin Hood, um, which I uh, directed, no, Stuart Miller directed, and I was in, I was the Sheriff of Nottingham, uh, did uh, Robin Hood and the Babes in the Wood. And then it was after Robin Hood and the Babes in the Wood that it, that it closed. So I'd been involved for about a year or so, doing various things on a, as a performer, and then it closed. And that was a big shock, because it, it suddenly become quite a big part of my life. Um, and then it closed, it was a funding crisis, and it, and it closed, must have been, uh, yeah, March 95, would have been when it shut. Um, and I can remember that Christmas feeling, because I'd suddenly sort of got involved with this place, and I can remember that Christmas feeling a bit barren, do you know what I mean? And a bit like, 
when you when you're in into panto yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it stops it stops you, you're like what what do i do at this yeah, time? Yeah, yeah yeah so um so then there was talk about the place reopening um and i can remember i was friends with brian herring who um was the guy that um he's a puppeteer professional puppeteer did spitting image and everything ended up being um uh the new star wars star wars wasn't it bb8 yes yeah like the little ball thing in um in star wars he ended up doing that which was a fantastic journey for him because when he was a kid he was obsessed with star wars and to think that he was going to end up being bb8 in the in the new star yeah, wars um, yeah. setup was just fantastic but brian and i were good friends at the time and they were talking about reopening the um the playhouse and we were like what are they going to do for panto so we said we should pitch we should pitch for panto say so we'll produce panto and I had no idea how to, um, what, how to what, the produ <laughs> what producing a panto in a theatre, no. a venue of that size would yeah. involve. I'd been in shows it, there. Being in, being in a panto and producing a panto. Yeah, completely two different things. Different things. I, and I hadn't got involved in the, you know, in the, in the production side of things. Um, so we put together this, this bid. And, and I, st I think I've probably still got it somewhere on a piece of paper. And look at it. It just... What, what a laugh. Just like literally had no idea. It was set, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two grand, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Who's going to do that? Mulvan, um, who yeah. I still work with, the guy that um, phoned him up and, you know, would you come and build the set, yeah, or blah, blah, so blah. So was we... it a calculated blag? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't even a calculator, it was an uncalculated <laughs> blag. It was 100% blag. Right, okay. And we ended up being invited to this council meeting and I found ourselves sitting in front of all these councillors to yeah, we'll produce this panto. And... I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And then the next thing we knew, you got a panto contract, you're producing the panto, and we're, we're going to do Dick Whittington. Um, and we ended up producing um, Dick Whittington. I played King Rat. Um, and it was at the very beginning of the theatre reopening. And, um, and at the time, they had, as it was reopening, they'd employed a new manager, a guy called John Harris. And um, it turned out that just one of these weird things that I lived in Palmer's Green in North London and was commuting to Harlow whenever I did stuff in Harlow, it was like 25, 30 minute car drive. And then um, I had this phone call from this chap saying, you know, I understand you're producing the Panto. My name's John Harris and I've been appointed as the new theatre manager. Can we meet up at some point? And I was like, yeah, um, well, yeah, we'll have to make a time because I don't actually live in Harlow, I live in Palmer's Green. And he was like, oh, so do I. And where do you live? And he, he lived like 10 doors down the road. Right. Provided in Palmer's like Green. Distant, yeah, actually. really weird. Yeah. Um, and I ended up just walking around to his house. Um, and we had a chat. And uh, we produced the panto. And it was kind of, you know, within whatever boundaries you'd, you'd measure it. It was, it was quite successful. Um, and then afterwards... They were looking for a, a, a business development manager. And John said, um, we're looking for a business development manager. Would you be interested? And they were paying, I still remember that the, the, the salary was £4,000 a year plus 30% of anything you can make. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was working for the training department of, um, of Woolwich Property Services. And at the time, I don't know, probably about 30K a year, which was big money back then, yeah. you know what I mean? And a company car, expense account, and yeah, so, so everything. Yeah, that's a huge drop. Just, just got into um, 
into a relationship with Jules, who's now my wife, and she had two daughters from a previous marriage, so we were kind of like a sudden You had a family, family. to support, yeah. Had a family to support. <laughs> so you're um, going to take so, a cut so, in your So, yeah, salary, so I, I kind of uh, went home one day and said to Jules, um, oh, just to let, well, not even home, because I wasn't, I, we, weren't work, we weren't living together at that point, and just went back and said, I'm, I'm, gonna, um, I'm gonna give up the estate agency side of things, I'm gonna go and work for this theatre. Um, as business development manager, and I took this kind of dive, um, and yeah, I just went in, and the, the I, I managed to. That that was the first time I think I kind of realised, and I still struggle with this. I still struggle with it, but that whole idea of shifting from having a job with a salary mm-hmm. to to not having a job with a salary and, yeah. and finding that you've just got to try and somehow survive. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of managed to do that for a period of time. And one of the ways I did that was I, when I left the estate agency, I was running training courses for them and I left them in the lurch. So I managed to freelance myself back to the company I was working for and run a few training courses that I got paid for. I also did, um, you know, I pulled some deals with sponsorship deals with the, for the theatre that I managed to keep 30% of. And, and suddenly found myself in a situation where I was working in the theatre and, and I was making just about enough money to survive. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, that was a really key time. Um, and then was involved that, you know, we, we got the Playhouse re-established, it started to work better. Um, I managed to then negotiate a, a, a half decent salary. And then Lawrence came in, John moved on, Lawrence came in as the theatre manager. He then created the role of the, the, the head of arts. He became the head of arts. Um, we all okay, sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lawrence became the head of arts and, and then I became the, the, whoops, excuse me, became the theatre manager. And then ended up as from sort of, I don't know, early 2000s? 2001 to about 2007? Yeah, no, was the two, 2001 was the time that I was kind of, Started in the in yeah. the community in the in Lawrence's young people's yes. theatre. Young people, yeah, young, young people's people theatre company. company. Yeah, and at that time, the amongst you and Lawrence and and Brian, I remember sort of like the three of you had really sort of created a a community. Yeah, and, uh, and it and it was alive and it was very yes. buzzing, wasn't it? And yeah. there was there was constant production to production yes. to production. Yeah, and yeah, we got into this sort of. Um, created this this model of you know you, you'd panto um and then um maybe a, a more theater-based thing around about springtime mm-hmm. uh something up in the couple of shows in the studio during the summer months big musical in the autumn leading into a panto again yeah um all community-based all mm-hmm. kind of and a lot of those people that came in came in and and, and went through that process and, and did and did all of those productions so mm-hmm. sort of became part of like you said, a real sort of, a real community. It was a real community, a community that was happy to run this factory of productions, yeah. Yeah. weren't they? And get behind all different aspects yeah. of it. And yeah, and just, and it, it felt like as someone new coming into it, it felt like this is something that I want to, a, a, a young person, I was like, this is what I want to be part of for the rest mm. of my life. Right. I want to be part of groups yeah. like this. This is the direction I want yeah. to go. Because before I'd found theatre, I was going to be in the RAF, right? <laughs> like, like you said, and uh, and I did do other jobs, like yourself, like estate agent as well. 
but I but it was being at the Playhouse in them early days of seeing how things run and how all the different shows are going, how all the different people are working together. Yeah, made me go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. this is the path that yeah. you're that you're going to pursue. So you, at that time, you were yeah you were leading this community, leading this show, yeah. leading these shows. Um, the Playhouse was doing quite well at that time. Well, sort of yes and no because it, right. I mean throughout my tenure there, it was. I mean, it was always a political wrangling ball. Do you know what I mean? It was always like there was year to year to year. There was like, why is it costing this much money? Why is the council paying this much money? You should be doing it for less. Do you know what I mean? That was a that was the background to to you know the facade was was this you know really positive creative kind of space, but behind that was this was a constant stress mm-hmm. about you know you you you're, you're spending too much money and. Whatever. So, I mean, I it was interesting that we said two thousand and three was um, was when we did West Side Story, but it was a it was that was either two thousand and two or two thousand and three because two thousand and three, funny enough, was that was a year I got married, um, but was also I don't know were you part of there was there was like a funding crisis and we had some demonstrations. Yeah, we and went to the town. We, we went, went to the, the town, town hall. Yeah, I and I remember. I remember the amount of. Harlow had the town hall in a big tower block at the yes. time, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember hundreds of us yeah. queuing up the stairs. Well, there was to say, like, don't, don't. Uh, didn't they want to get rid of you yeah. and Lawrence? As, yeah, they as didn't. Well, I don't know if they at the time they, they they wanted to get rid of they wanted to cut the art service down, and that was going to get rid of Lawrence. And ultimately, they did get rid of Lawrence that way. Yeah. That way around, and then ultimately they got rid of me about four years yeah, later. Because Lawrence was a, uh, again, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be doing any yeah. of the things I'm doing yeah. today. He yeah. was a ma- he had a massive impact yeah. on my life. He um, so and he, not just mine, others as well. Oh, absolutely, you know. absolutely. And yeah, and you know, he was the head of arts, and he'd been very instrumental in in, in expanding the art service and, and and helping to establish the playhouse again. He brought in serious amounts of, of capital funding because under his guidance, I was the manager, he was the head of arts. We refurbished the whole playhouse, refitted all of the seats, put the lift in the, um, in the foyer to, to enable um, you know, wheelchair users to be able to, there was an old service lift that, you know, that one on the left yes, hand side. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. You're a wheelchair you user, you had to come in. It was a platform, wasn't it? Oh, but, but you know, it was like a goods lift. You had to you had to come in and shut the steel doors. Yes, you felt yeah. like you were a crate of potatoes being moved upstairs. Um, so you know, he was part of making the place far more accessible. And then there was this background of, and I still remember the kind of figures they were talking about. You know, it, it was at di- a direct cost of about three hundred thousand pound a year, which. All the evidence would suggest compared to a lot of other venues, because I was involved in a huge project to try and find out, well, is this too much money? Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and I did this big piece of research and, and there was hardly, you couldn't find a venue comparable to the playoffs that wasn't getting about £450,000 a year. So we were already knew that we were quite efficient, but they wanted to cut it to one hundred and eighty. dollars and you, and you were always dealing with like, you know, absolute ignoramuses who had no understanding of what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of local politicians are absolute ignoramuses. And I don't mind saying that because they are. They are most, most people who get involved in local politics. And not all by any stretch of the imagination because I've met 
some really, really some good quality right people. But the vast majority are kind of in it for all the wrong reasons. They're in it for reasons of social ineptitude and, and ego and, and, and the need for affirmation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to sort of basic mathematics, some of them... Would they not say the same about us? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. So, um, but we were up against, you know, where, where people would go, well, if it costs around £1,000 a year, just put your tickets up by 20% and, and that will mean you make another 120000 And you couldn't get people's heads around the fact that actually, you know, when you're bringing in theatre, you have to pay the acts. So therefore, 80% of the money that you take doesn't go to you, it goes to the people that are putting the acts on. Do you know what I mean? And if you put your ticket prices up by 20%, not only will you not sell as many tickets, but you'll only make 20% of the extra money that, do you know what I mean? And all of this kind of thing, hours trying to explain this to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, in the end, they, um, they tried to cut the budget. Um, Lawrence's post was made redundant. Um, he left. They then um, they then brought in an arts consultant, and this was one of the tragic things. They, they brought in this arts consultant who did a whole load of research, and then basically he came back and said, "Well, actually, there's no way it will be able to survive on under eighty thousand pounds. It needs more money." Mm-hmm. And then they kind of backtracked, and but but Lawrence had gone. Do you know what I mean? So it was almost as if stage one of what they wanted to do was achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went for a relatively calm period between about 2003 and 2007. And then in 2007, that was when I suddenly found myself suspended. Um, ultimately, because my boss at the time, um, I don't know what the situation was. I, I think somebody just said, you know, that, that guy's got to go. I, I think because I don't think they ever really kind of, I don't know, I don't know. There's a part of me thinks I was never really forgiven for, for, for managing to survive the first attempt to get rid of everyone, yes, do you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Because in, in about 2007, I suddenly got called into a meeting one day and found myself suspended. Mm. And at the time, they wouldn't even tell me what I was suspended for. It was so ridiculous. It was literally in an office. We've had an investigation and some information has come to light, you're suspended. For what? We can't tell you. That doesn't make any sense. Surely that's not... Correct. No, we can't tell you, you're suspended. And at the time, I was directing Bugsy Malone. And they said, you're suspended, we're going to do a full investigation, so you can't go anywhere near the building. Right. What are we going to do about Bugsy Malone? Well, what about Bugsy Malone? Well, it's a big production, and I'm directing it, and it goes up in about two months' time. Oh, hold on. Chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. Okay, you're suspended, and you're only allowed to go back into the production for rehearsals of Bugsy Malone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At the time, I'm thinking, I'm sure this can't be right. Do you know what mm. I mean? So that's what they did. They suspended me. How did you feel at that time? At the time, just really indignant. Just really kind of indignant and really kind of... I, I mean, it was, the, it was the beginning of of my first kind of mental health crisis, do you know what I mean? Okay. At the time, I didn't realise that that was what was about to happen. But it was a turning point for you? But it was a massive turning point, it was a massive turning point. Um, and I, at the time, I just felt kind of indignant and kind of, like, I was, I mean, I, I, I sort of was at home and then having to, and as I said, going in to, to do rehearsals for 
Bugs in Milan. It was all kind of rather surreal. It turned out that they did this full investigation and it, it, it then came to light that the reason I'd been suspended was because my boss had found a railway ticket to um, Swansea um, with my wife on it as well for about 90 quid. And what had happened was that I'd been invited to a ballet production um, in Swansea, at the Swansea Grand Theatre through one of the networking groups. I'd been invited to go and see this ballet at, um, at the Swansea Grand Theatre, but I knew the manager of the Swansea Grand Theatre and they had quite a big costume department and we were interested in expanding the costume department of the Playhouse. And at the time, this is one of the things that like, really kind of gets me what I think about it, was my wife was working in the costume department of the Playhouse for, for nothing, do you know what I mean? She was trying to build up the costume department more than getting paid for doing any of it. I used my council credit card to buy two tickets to Swansea to take my wife to this theatre so that we could see the ballet but also have a meeting with this guy and have a look at their costume department. Um, and 18 months after that event, they used the fact that I had bought a ticket for my wife who wasn't a council employee to go to Swansea mm -hmm. and they defined it as misappropriation of council funds. It sounds to me like they were desperately searching for something. Yeah. <laughs> to dig that yeah. deep. Yeah, they literally, literally, yeah. literally, that was it. You know, that, no word of a lie. That, that, that must was... have, that, yeah, that must have felt bad. Oh, that it must was have felt crazy. Horrible. But then we went through this whole process and then um, we had this kind of full hearing and then it all came out and, and but then it all came out during this hearing that the, that, you know, my boss at the time, a woman called Lynn Seward, was trying to say that I, um, that I was um, like irresponsible and it was misappropriation to council funds and I should never be in the position of responsibility. Yet I then managed to pull out the last three appraisals that she'd done of mine and they were all glowing and they all said that I was the best. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like, this is absolute lunacy. So then they reversed the decision. They reinstated me and I was like, great. And this was just before Christmas, December 2007. So I got suspended in the September and then the December 2007. They reinstated me and then put me on a final written warning. And I was like, for what? But they couldn't define what that was. And, I, and, and at the time I was like, this is just crazy. And it, it kind of- Constant attack. Yeah, it just mm. felt like constant, constant attack. And it just felt like there was this kind of really big, heavy, kind of machine that was just grinding and grinding and grinding and and I literally was just like I can't take any more of this this is crazy it's not it's not worth it so I went to see um I went to see the boss at the time and 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 who the, the one of the guys I think the assistant leader of the council and whatever and said I think it made more sense if I if I left mm. and they did what's called a negotiated settlement and um and I, because I said, you know, I'm going to sue you for constructive dismissal. And they said, oh, well, you know, you don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So we had what's called a negotiated settlement and, and I left. Um, and that, and as I said, I, I kind of actually in quite a good position um, because, of, because of the negotiated settlement. But mentally, yeah, all over the place. Mm. For the first time, I suddenly sort of, had this, 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 this sort of community that we'd that we'd created was just 
just ripped away. Just ripped away. Mm. Yeah. And even I was a bit of an outsider at that time, but I was still a little bit on the outskirts of that community. And even I felt it evaporate. Yeah. And I think that's actually that's an interesting interesting choice of words because that's exactly what it did. Yeah. It evaporated in, in because it within yeah. it just disappeared. Yeah. Um because because the whole structure of of the way we ran it just stopped. Mm. Yeah, um, the machine stopped Stopped yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It? yeah, and I remember going to see because you know I'm a big one for for putting myself through purgatory. <laughs> one of the things I still haven't learned. Yeah. Uh, but I remember going to see the first panto that was there after I left, and it was an absolute. Was that shocker. one of the, they went from having a community panto yeah. with a huge community? It, there was a there was a big pool of talent in the town. Yeah, a big pool of talent um, because there were people that we had you had nurtured and brought we had nurtured and brought mm. through, and, and you only have to look at. You know that the alumni of that period and, and what a lot of them moved on to to realise the benefit of what we were doing. Yes. You yeah. know, Mike Fentiman, mm -hmm. RSC director, yes. director in the West End, just done. Um, you know, just done uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe in the West End. Yeah, and um, you really, you really, he was someone you really yeah. nurtured, didn't you? Yeah. You really brought. Dave through. Hearn was part of that whole system. Found a member of um, uh, the you know the play that goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, what's that company called? Oh, blimey. Anyway, can't remember the name of the actual yeah. company, but found a member of, of that, you know, massively successful. And, massively and these are things successful. that the council can't measure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and aren't interested in measuring is, is mm -hmm. the real sad thing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, um, which is all to do with the, the, you know, the three-year cycle of a, of a pol political Yeah, because it doesn't happen structure. within those three years, yeah. does it? Yeah. A... So you can't talk about the long-term gains of of nurturing creativity, but um, but yes, yeah, so many people from that time went on and are still really, really productive in um, in, in 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 professional creative careers. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, so that that kind of structure just evaporated, um, and that yeah, I think for the first time I was depressed. Do you know what I mean? I suddenly realised that I was. I was depressed. I I suffered from really bad um, kind of missing of that of that of that community that we'd put together. Um, I ended up um, I ended up working for um, a company called uh, Theatre Is, who were the um, Arts Council funded um, company for young people in the east of England. I think it's interesting. I look back now at that period, and I worked for them for two years. Actually, in some respects, the the, the, the potential that that role offered was even greater than, than than would have been at the Playhouse. But but to me, it just I, I never quite felt felt the same. It felt never quite felt the same, mm -hmm. you know. And I really hankered after that sort of that um, that that community feel, that whole kind of sort of sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and then, funny enough. Ended up um, at the roads in Bishop Stortford, which uh, is now South Mill Arts, but um, uh, ended up, um, we'd bought the costume stock. Funny enough, we'd, we'd bought the costume stock from the Playhouse when I, when I left, that they were like, they don't want all these costumes. So mm -hmm. we negotiated the price and ended up buying the costume stock. And I ended up with this little industrial unit, absolutely rammed full of costumes. And I was like, oh my God, what are we gonna do with all of this? And um, and then Sounds got an inquiry like to a life in theatre. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, we got an inquiry from um, from uh, Andy Graham, who was the artistic director 
of, um, of the roads and said they were doing a panto and did we have any costumes? And we supplied the costumes for their first panto. Uh, so my wife worked on that. And then I got involved with the roads and I, um, I ended up producing one of their pantos for them. And then before I knew it, I was the artistic programmer for the roads and I had that panto contract. And then went through a, a kind of a cycle of, of doing exactly. Was, was this kind of a cycle of rebirth? Yeah, I think so. And, and that was when I created my business called Phoenix. Yes. And obviously there's that whole, um, you know, the metaphor and that's, that's of the Phoenix. that's where the name came from. Really where the name came Well, one reason uh, the name came was because of that. But, but the actual reason was that um, I, I established the Playhouse Theatre School. Um, and I'd moved it out of the Playhouse when I left and put it into Burnt Mill. But I had to rebrand it. But everybody referred to it as PTS. That was what they always said. It was just PTS. You know, the PTS tonight. I was going to PTS. You should join PTS, that sort of thing. So at the time, it was just PTS. And I thought, I want to... So I then thought, okay, I need... And that I thought, Phil's theatre school. Do you want to read it? That seemed a little bit egotistical. Yeah. I never been one for, for sort of wanting to stick my name on a T-shirt. So, mm. but, but then Phoenix suddenly seemed to make sense. So, yeah. so we rebranded it to Phoenix Theatre School, put it into Burnt Mill... Um, that so the theatre school carried on, and then about eighteen months later, two years later, mm -hmm. that um, start. You know, I, I managed to introduce that into the roads as well because I found myself in a similar position. So I was, I was at the roads and ended up doing panto there for eight years, nine years, and we did a very similar thing. Similar we created this it, yeah. this kind of community. And interestingly, I then almost. Um, you know, from a mental health point of view, the whole idea, and I could speak to you for ages about self-sabotage and, um, okay. and, um, and the idea of, of, of how um, you, create your own, you create your own destiny. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was at the roads and, and, I, um, and, we, and we were, um, I was producing Panta and everything was going very well. And, and then I, I produced Pop Divas, which is the show that tours around the country now, and, yes, and, yes. and that had been created. And I don't know, I think there's, it's almost, um, it's like the Icarus thing, about you fly too close to the sun and your, your wings all melt. Um, but I, I, I sort of, there was frustrations at the roads, similar to what there were at the Playhouse, about the operation and the way the building was going. And, you, and you're never, you never really, I mean, I certainly wasn't in charge at the roads because I had an operations director and I was underneath the operations director. But whenever you're, you know, with, with funded venues, you're never fully in charge, do you know what I mean? So there are always kind of sort of artistic differences and, and, and annoyances and whatever. And, and I'd established the Panto at the, at the roads and it was very successful. Um, and I decided that I wanted to branch out and, and, I, and I had the Panto contract and the Panto contract was separate from the, from the artistic programming. And, and I resigned my position as, um, as the artistic programmer at the roads with a view to keeping the Panto contract. Because I was like, you know, I've got the theatre school, I've, I've got the Panto contract. So I resigned in the June with a view to wanting to expand out and do other things. Um, and I left in June. And in Christmas of that year, we did Beauty and the Beast, which was the, the most successful panto they'd ever had. And it just like broke box office records and the feedback was fantastic. Um, and then in the February, they brought in a new artistic programmer. In the February, they called me into a meeting and basically said, thank you very much. We don't want you to do panto anymore. 
And I hadn't secured a proper contract because I was so confident. You just felt it was like, a part of me. It was just like, I'll do the contract. Yeah, I'm Phil Dale. I'll do the panto at the roads. Everybody mm -hmm. loves it. Um, and, and I lost that. And then suddenly found myself right back to where I was. You must, you must have felt like history's repeating. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 I did. I mm. did. I was like, but, but also I couldn't get away from the fact that I had to accept my own implicitness in, in, in that decision. Do you know what I mean? That, that what, was, what, was, what was that then? What was what? Your implicitness. What, how, well, I, 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 that, that, how, did you, how did you cause that? Just I, through just through through not having the contract there and being too settled. I think I think being too settled is 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 one thing. I think kind of, I think you get, I think you get sort of comfortable and, um, but I also I also think one of the things that um, that I that I've realised is is a lot of my drive around what I do is is the need for affirmation. Okay. Um, and I'm not aware of that while I'm getting it. Do you know what I mean? Because while I'm getting the affirmation, yeah. it's almost as if the affirmation I get for doing things kind of completes me. Mm -hmm. It fills this hole within me. Um, and I know, and because I, I also have a really, really, I, people might not realise this, but internally I have a really weak and thin skin when it comes to criticism. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a right one for... You know, fifty good things can happen, but that one, that one uh, thing. Yeah, I can. You know, with my theatre school, I can. Um, you know, I, I can get ten inquiries to my theatre school. Mm -hmm. um, oh, great deal with them, brilliant! And then I get a phone call from a parent saying, you know, Elizabeth's decided to to quit this year. She's not really enjoying it as much as she wants to. I don't think it's really her sort of thing. And I'm on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, the kid has left. I'm, I'm obviously rubbish. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And and when you look at it. Well, you can step away and analyse it. You go, well, it doesn't make any sense. No. So why do you think that is then? Um, my upbringing. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. think, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's some kind of, I, I, I have abandonment issues from when I was younger. So you have? I have abandonment issues okay. from when I was younger. I think one of the reasons, I think when I look back now, I think one of the reasons that I, that I, I sort of, I didn't reach out when I was younger, one of the reasons that I, I didn't send off those application schools to drama school or why I didn't ever want to go to university. Well, partly it wasn't a part of my culture, but I, when I was younger, I used to suffer from homesickness really badly, mm -hmm. like really badly, do you know what I mean? Just, just sometimes going away and staying with my aunt for two weeks or, or for a week was, was just sort of left me kind of mm -hmm. stuntified and not able to operate properly. So I think... I think there are, I think there are kind of quite deep-rooted issues about certainly deep-rooted issues about abandonment and affirmation that I mm -hmm. that I kind of suffer from, and that. So, so there are twofold things. That one, I was never that comfortable at the roads because I was never there was always a, there was a, there was always an element of quite heavy criticism when you're in that position because the the, the local theatrical community whilst it can be a lovely place but it can be horribly vindictive do you know what yes, I mean yeah. there are people in it that are horribly yeah, vindictive yeah these are people like a bit of drama as oh well oh god <laughs> absolutely and there was you know there were people when i was at the roads there there were people that I look back now and realise they were quite envious of the success that I had. So there were a lot of people that used to go, hang on, you know, like he's got this position at the roads, but he's got his own company producing Pantow. How come is he? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was done 
you know, everything was done above board. There were proper contracts and, you know, there was the, the panto was produced properly and the contract we had was no different to any professional contract that a company would have. But there was constant bitching and I could never not allow that to affect me. I look back now and realise that that was a real weakness. Do you know what I mean? Is that rather than take a very adult view to, you know, sort of bitching coming in and going, right, okay, they're obviously a little bit dangerous, need to be careful about that, do you know what I mean? And whatever, it would really... Time's moved on and you can, you can, you can segment it and you can kind of put that to one side and you can work out why now, but at that time... At that time? You, it's harder to do that. Yeah, at the time I was, I was really like, oh God, do you know what I mean? Why, why these people just don't like me and what am I... Do you know what I mean? And I used to feel the need to... To, to, to want to get back and try and justify myself. And that's a point, you know, trying to justify yourself to someone that thinks you're an idiot is pointless because they think you're an idiot, do you know what I mean? Or whatever, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever it is they think of you. So, so trying to do that is just a waste of energy. Mm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I also want to add in that um, an outsider, am I seeing also from what you're saying that it's, you're saying abandonment, but I'm also hearing that you care as well about the things that you do? You spoke a lot about like the community that you've been building up over the years yeah. and the people yeah. that you've been nurturing. Yeah. And that you're you know, you're working hard on hmm. these multiple different projects and yeah. there is a reason for doing all of this. But then something comes to tear it down. Yes. And 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 it, you, you feel really indignant, do you know what I mean? Mm. But there's a but I think yes you care, but then you know the the the, the abandonment and and the, and the requirement for affirmation is a childlike state. Do you know what I mean? Okay. That's that's a childlike state. So therefore, you find yourself trying to deal with things in in a, in a childlike mental state. Do you know what I mean? And and that is. Would you say you sometimes go to that? Then? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the biggest battle that that I that I face is is trying to is trying to be adult all mm -hmm. the time. Because the truth of the matter is, if, if you can be adult all the time, you didn't love anything. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's a fact. But, but what, yeah, but what, is, what is it to be adult then? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, well, it's, uh, it's... And, and actually, there's something that I'm trying to, I'm trying to embrace more in, within my creative life, is being more childlike. Because well, that's where the creativity no, comes there you from. Go. So, there you go. So you, that's, you've, that's, got to you've got to find some balance, haven't you? you, you what, what you have to do is you, you, you have to allow your adult to nurture your child and protect your child and allow your child to play mm -hmm. but also that your adult psyche needs to be able to understand when your child's psyche is is has has become hurt or whatever and in the same way that that real adults comfort real children i think internally you have to work out a way to allow your internal adult to comfort your child and that's the most difficult thing to do because abandonment comes from you know what 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 you do is you 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 manifest the same issues that you deal with so my internal adult abandons my child do you know what i mean so my internal child my internal adult just goes whenever it wants to it can just <laughs> i'm not interested do you want yeah. to just disappear mm. um and then you end up you know you end up trying to function in a really complex world mm -hmm. and make decisions when psychologically you're fundamentally a hurt child going 
Yeah. And, and, and therefore, you know, being, you have to be careful that you don't start exuding that as an, as an actual thing, because then, you, you know, you become one of those annoying adults that's just going, don't blame me, I want somebody to sort it out for me. Do you know what I mean? But because you can't ever do that, because it's the, the adult side of you goes, it's okay, calm down, we'll be all right, we can deal with this together. Do you know what I mean? And that is, you know, and I think there's, a, there's an awful lot... From a psychological point of view, that the whole sort of concept of of the adult state of mind and the, and the child state of mind is, I think, is the fundamental key to to to, to, to healthy living. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Is that idea of finding and understanding ourselves, allowing your child because you see people who's you know you can see people whose 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 adults are completely dominant within their psyche because they can function and they can cope and they don't seem to have many issues, but they're boring as hell. Do you know what I mean? And that is because they've, they've lost the ability to play, which is a childish thing. Mm. So, yeah, that you, I mean, the, the whole point of view of allowing your child to play, that's the beauty of creativity, isn't it? Is allowing Is going back your to child that. to play in a healthy way because that's the other issue is that, you know, and that's when I think about all of those people that when I look around and go, gosh, these people, if you're not involved in a creative lifestyle, mm. what on earth? And, and, and an awful lot of, of, of those people end up with, with you know, you, if your child can't play in a healthy childlike way, it, it, it will become confused with, with its adult and it will start to play in, in unhealthy ways. And that's when you get you into drugs. And that's when you get drugs, pornography, yeah, gambling. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's your child trying to play but 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 not doing it in in a childlike way. And then when you see a panto or you see a piece of theatre or whatever, that that's being created by children playing in a yeah. in a really, you know, healthy healthy kind of way. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so that God blimey. <laughs> to get this thing today, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> well, it's a Monday morning as well, isn't it? Hey? So uh, I don't normally pay forty five pound an hour for this. Yeah. Going back to what you said, maybe that's the reason the woman was willing to pay for it. So, so, so yeah, that's the um, that that's the the that's the dilemma. It's that whole idea of of, of maintaining maintaining a child and uh, to be able to be creative, but then being able to take care of it when it feels mm. when it feels damaged. Yeah, and if I look back now, that's you know my my, my creative career you know its highlights are when the child is protected and in a safe environment and creating and that's when you know you're doing shows that are really successful and people are coming along and and loving it you know and and my low points are when you know things have gone wrong and 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 my child has felt criticized and hasn't had the affirmation that it feels it needs would you say this is a a new awareness of this inner child um certainly more so than 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 it has been in the past i've always you know i've always been one for um for kind of you know self out books and personal psychotherapy and whatever mm. and i've you know i've i've read most of the books that 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 people quote when they talk about you know the the best self help books and whatever um i think i went through a period i went through a period of of sort of feeling very in touch and aware of myself 
without realizing um without realizing that there was a lot of kind of masking behaviors going on and there were a lot of behaviors that were that were you know i was a i i was a dope fiend do you know what i mean i i, I loved smoking weed do you know what i mean and yeah. i and yeah. i went through most of my professional career as a bit of a stonehead do you mm -hmm. know what i mean I, I don't know how you know known that was from an outsider's point of view but yeah. but i was a you know I, I i i loved it um but i only now realized that it was that it was masking do you know what i mean that yeah. it was that it was it was it was nullifying something a lot say again you're trying to suppress yeah, something yeah, yeah absolutely i was i was suppressing you know i was suppressing those kind of those those feelings of loss and and and, and whatever mm -hmm. so um so having quit that that's one of the problems of of you know the, the, they always say the biggest problem with you know people talk about you know you should give up give up drinking give up drugs whatever the the issue that you have when you when you give up those things is you're immediately then confronted with the emotions that you were actually masking in the first place yes. so you kind of go hey i haven't smoked weed for six weeks but go, oh great you must be feeling good no i feel absolutely <laughs> terrible why is that yeah. because i've suddenly realized why i was smoking <laughs> so so I, i've become a lot more aware from that point of view and, and i think that's also to do with just getting older i think i think one of the um you know we, we kid ourselves when we're younger that, that we're immortal and that everything will go on forever so we tend not to worry quite so much about things mm -hmm. because you know it'll sort itself out you know everything will be all right when and i think you know and i was very good at doing that yeah, okay well that's a bit of a pain to me but i'm enjoying myself and i'll sort that out when mm -hmm. I, I always remember you know because i used to smoke a lot as well i don't you know you know good old cigarettes i used to i could i could smoke 20 or 40 um marlboro lights a day at one point you know what i mean mm -hmm. um and I, when i was in my 30s I was always like, but I, of course I won't smoke when I'm 50, but never when, so when are you going to stop? When, when is the end? <laughs> when are we going to put a... Yeah, when, when, when are we when actually going to stop? stop? You know, it was always like, well, mm. of course I won't smoke when I... And then, and then you suddenly found myself going through a period of going, well, hang on, mate, what are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you then do have to confront these things. In confronting them, you then become... Yeah, you become more aware. Mm. You become more aware of, of why you are, how you are. But that's just the start. Because be, being, being aware of why you feel like you feel doesn't necessarily stop you from feeling like you feel. You'll mm. just, you just know why that's the case. See, I found with that, with that future thing, uh, confronting and dealing with the future is now and living in the now yeah. rather than living in the future. Yeah. Stop thinking about oh, I'm going to quit smoking when I'm 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, no, no, absolutely. it's all about what's happening yeah. right yeah. right now. Yeah. The power of now is, yeah, really, really quite strong. And within this within this moment that we're in today is Who's what matters. Power of, is that Simon? That, it is a book, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. It's quite a complex book, if you, if you haven't read it. The power of now. Um, but there's, um, mm. yeah, the power of now is, you know, me and you sat here having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. is quite important. This is all that matters, really. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is what's happening here right now. Mm. Um, it will affect what happens next mm -hmm. and the roads that we go, that we mm. take and the paths that we take. Um, but this is the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And there is, yeah, there's meaning behind whatever's happening here and to lead on to the future. But you have to deal with here before the future can Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's... Um, 
I, I, I am, that's that, you know, I, I am a right one for, I'll, I'll sort it out tomorrow, do you know what mm. I mean? And to a certain extent, I think that's what drives me or draws me towards theatre production. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing that theatre production does is it gives you a deadline. Yes, and that's the same. I you know, that. So, I, so when I don't have a deadline, I'm a nightmare. Oh, just recently, I was... Because it has to the, happen, doesn't it? Well, it has to happen. Theatre well, has to happen in that time. Yeah. There's going to be an audience on that date. Yeah, yeah. you can't you get away from it. Yeah. And then that drives you towards it. And then when I'm further away from them, those deadlines, or, or I haven't got any in place or whatever, that's when I can just, mm -hmm. you know, just, just go nowhere. And I can, I can waste days. And get lost. I can waste days and get lost. I can waste days. You know, I can, I can waste days in... in, in, in Positive act. Well, you can't waste days in positive activity. That's, that's <laughs> a silly thing to say. I can waste days in negative activity. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, I can I can get depressed and I can get caught up in in you know like unhealthy behaviours and and just waste days. And then and then I have this ability to suddenly switch into like hyper focus mm -hmm. when a deadline is approaching, and then my output go up tenfold it's ridiculous yeah and there is a part of me that goes flipping it if i could just harness that all the time so so now that you're not you're not connected to a theater now yeah so how do you how do you manage that now i, I well I, I i am connected to a theater from the point of view of panto because we now have a contract done okay. in stroud I didn't know this. yeah have a we i have a um third year this year um produce um produce panto for uh the subscription rooms in stroud which is a 300 seat so a big old corn exchange venue in the middle of Stroud down in Gloucestershire, lovely town, um, and produced Panto for them. And that's really interesting because I kind of just took the model that I had here and, and, and was like, I, I don't know how to do Panto any other way. So we took the model that we have here and, and it's basically the same model apart from the fact that there's 135 miles between my depot and the, and the venue as opposed to two and a half, do you know what I mean? Which yes. is what we had before. Um, and with regards to, we still have a big community chorus. I've got a local dance school involved. Uh, they supply, we, we do the same sort of script. So we still have that big setup, big community chorus. Um, my daughter, Kate, does the choreography. She films it all, sends it down to them. They practice it over two, three uh, months. And then I turn up a week before the show and we put the principals, we have professional principals and we put them together with a chorus and then off we go. Mm -hmm. um, and we've we're we're on the third one now. We did we did Beauty and the Beast, and we did fourteen performances, um, and took about forty thousand pounds on the box office. And then we did uh, Cinderella, and we went up to uh, twenty one performances, and we went up to about eighty thousand pounds, doubled the box office in one year. And we're going in to do Snow White this year, and we're doing thirty one performances, and we're hoping to kind of. Quad, you know, d double again if we can or whatever, but we're on quite a big sort of growth pattern with regards to trying to, yeah. to grow the show. But um, so from that point of view, um, Christmas is nice. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, Christmas, Christmas is kind of yeah. taking care of. Have you got a contract of. this time? Hmm? Got a contract got, this time? Yeah, I have. <laughs> well, yeah. Got a proper contract. Yeah. So from that point of view, that's all... Um, so you've got some security there. Yeah, I've got some security... I mean, it, interestingly, security, financial security, and I'd also say emotional security, do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it, yeah. it's got that kind of, that, that it offers that fulfilment around that time. 
Um, I have the theatre school, which um, I'm a lot more involved in because I teach all the time now. I didn't used to. Mm-hmm. I was the right one for like, oh, I've got this great theatre school and I like dropping in and seeing how it's going, but I had other people teaching for me. And then, you know, financial constraints and COVID kind of ch- changed everything. And, and now I teach much more in the theatre school, but I really enjoy it. I used to run away from it a bit. There used to be a part of me that was constantly going, you're not really qualified to be a drama <laughs> teacher. Do you know what I mean? That kind yes, of... Yeah. Sort of um, self doubt thing, that imposter syndrome, but I think I've managed to, to get rid of that from the theatre school point of view. So um, it's really just about um, it's it's just about trying to sort of create those deadlines to to therefore motivate yourself to to achieve stuff. You know, the other thing that I've got involved in is um, is mental health training for young people, which um, which has come from. Um, off the back of COVID, it was really clear that that a lot of the kids in the school were, were in a worse position than they were before. And I felt that like having some sort of mental health training for our tutors was important. So I got some funding and then I reached out to a company uh, to provide the training. And it turned out that it was run by um, uh, the chap that I used to be an estate agent with years back, which kind of takes everything around in a big circle right, and okay. sort of yeah. shows you how things can turn out, but a chap called Richard Stewart, who's now the CEO of a company called uh, Student Life, which provide mental health training for young people. Um, and they train the tutors in the school and me, um, but then I've got involved and I do some freelance training for them. And I've also just qualified as a mental health first aider trainer. So I can now train people to be mental health first aiders for the qualified sort of um, Mental Health First Aid England um, qualification, which they have. So that's an aspect that I am really interested in and looking to expand on. So I've got... I've got and that's quite a different direction than necessarily the theatre, isn't it? Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no in some respects. Um, from the point of view of running a theatre school and, and running mental health training sessions, as, you know, being, being a trainer, which I was when I worked in a state agency, is not dissimilar to being a drama tutor in some respects, do you know what I mean? From the point of view of being on your feet in front of people and trying to impart knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, I think that, you know, so much, and we've spoken about it, I think so much of, of what we offer as, as theatre creatives is, a, is about mental health well-being, do you know what I mean? And about, about creating scenarios where people just feel better about themselves. Yeah. So to a certain extent, I don't think... Is there, is there any sort of motivation behind it? In what respect? In adding that into the theatre company? Well, yeah, there, there's a part of me that thinks that that's quite... I mean, I've become increasingly aware that, that our the theatre sessions that we run have moved from, say, 20 years ago, being very much practical theatre sessions, to now being very much 50% practical theatre sessions, 50% kind of therapy for the kids, do you know what I mean? And I, and I don't, I think that's just a natural progression. I think a lot of people I speak to who work with young people know that that's what, you know, there's a, I think there's a necessity to, to be aware of, of the situation that young people are in and, 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 and offering the kind of support that they, that they need. And when you talk to the young people in the theatre school about why they're there, so much of it is about it, it, it's it's a space I just gives me two hours a week where I can just be me. Yes, 
And that in some respects is, you know, when you actually think about somebody saying that, we're in a, you know, we're, we're, we're in a, a supposedly affluent democratic mm -hmm. society and you've got young people going, I love coming here because for two hours a week I can be me. And when somebody says that to you, when you're running that organisation as a part of you, and, you know, and, and you're an affirmation requirer, <laughs> there's a part of you that goes, oh, great. <laughs> oh, I'm so great. Ticking it's all so the wonderful. Yeah, but, but then if you actually step away from that and analyse that mm -hmm. and think what they're saying, you go, what the hell are schools doing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What the hell are families doing? What, what, I guess what is going on? Well, we're trying to, I guess we're trying to fix some of these things within the communities, yeah. aren't we? With Absolutely. the communities that we run and that are important to us, Absolutely. we're now trying to yeah. to fix some of those broken links yeah. in the society. Yeah. But but to think that, that you know the vast majority of young people spend their lives feeling like they can't be themselves is it's quite sad. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's damning as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. From from and from in, where and, we it, are. And, it, and it's important that the things that you're doing, like the Phoenix Theatre School, it shows yeah. how important it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it feels, and as I said, I, I, you know, I often need, I often need reminding to, about that and, and 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 how important that is because, you know, there's, my, my adult can go, yeah, that's really important. Well done. Keep that up. That's mm. that's 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 good. And my child just goes. Does anybody love me? Get me the praise. So you're going to get back on the stage then? Because that, that's good for that. Am I going to get back on stage? Yeah. I don't know. Can you see that in your future? I don't know. I would, yes, I'd like to. I do miss it. Mm. I do miss it. But I'm also aware of the fact that... that um, you're juggling many balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a part of me that would just like to... I think what I should do is just go and do some... Just go and be in something that I don't have to be part of or produce or what. Do you know what I mean? And just, mm -hmm. just go and join, a, join an amateur dramatics group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go and audition for something, do something. Yeah. I think I should do that. I think that would be a good idea. What would, what would be the play that if you heard that uh, you yeah. heard some, you know, corner society, you know, some Amdram group are putting on Hamlet? Oh, you're going to be Hamlet. No, 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 no. If, if I was going to be a Shakespeare, I'd be Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh God, God, God! Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I'd, yeah. I'd want, I'd want to play Macbeth. What am I, fifty-six? Yeah, I can mm. still do that. It's yeah. good. That's proper. That's that's a bit old, but mm. all right. You, still, you know what I mean? I get, I'm, yeah. I'm getting towards Lear now. Can I get away with it still? No, Where? No. Not really. Yeah, I, I went to see um, what's his name uh, in Windsor, McKenna. I went to see his yeah. Hamlet. I mean, but the, but that then it was got, got ridiculous. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you've got to kind of completely muck up the whole thing. If you're going to go that yeah. age, Brian. No, I'd, 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 I'd play Macbeth. Yeah, you're going with Macbeth. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're on Macbeth next week, you'll be turning up for auditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to put on Macbeth? I'd come down and, yeah. and, and, and do it tomorrow and tomorrow <laughs> and tomorrow. <laughs> you can do a bit now if you like. Yeah, I could. <laughs> Creeps forth this petty pace to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and threats his hour upon stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's just, you know, that, that, you know there's a part of me that goes flipping it, man. You think that was written 400 years ago. Yeah. And then you actually listen to it and go, nothing's changed. <laughs> you know, like, literally. 
just yeah, middle-aged man sitting there going, what the hell is all this about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I think from a, from a performance point of view, I think it would probably, it would do me good just to go and do something. Mm. Because that, that, that sort of pressure of, of producing and directing and being in it at the same time was all a bit mad. Maybe, maybe that could be something that you look towards in, in one of your lull periods. Because it's inevitably yeah, going to happen again, absolutely. isn't it? It's it is. inevitably going to have yeah. a lull. Yeah. Is there any other ways you could look to protect yourself moving forward for those lulls? Or you could give advice to others? Because I, I myself experience those, those lulls. To protect myself, mm. I think you just have to... I mean, self-care is, is so important. It's so important. And one of the things that... Um, um, in, in, in the mental health training that I've spoken about, um, they major on um, what they call the o oxygen mask theory, which is, you know, you know when um, um, you're on an aeroplane and they do, the, um, they do the safety briefing, and they always talk about the fact that, you know, an oxygen mask will fall down from the thing. Um, make sure you put your own on before you help anybody else. And they use that concept to, to reiterate the importance of, of self-care and about how you can't help anybody unless you can help yourself. Yeah. That, that reminds me of a, of a quote that, that, I, that I love, that I always try and remind myself of, that um, a human has one job, to look after themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because and you must have strong arms ready yes, yes. to lift the Absolutely. one you love when they're in Absolutely, you. Absolutely, and, and I am terrible for not doing that. Do you know what I mean? And, and I know full well that I've... I've been in situations where I've, I, you know, I've either helped or attempted to help other people when I'm not helping myself. Mm -hmm. um, and not only, but two things happen there. Either you don't help people properly because you're not in a position to do it or, or it exhausts you utterly, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, the, do what you were talking about, you know, do, do your cold water therapy and do the stuff... It's just a case of doing things that you you know are good for you mm -hmm. and trying to do it and, and trying to maintain the adult because the problem is the child doesn't want to do the things that are good for it. The child wants to do the things that are fun. Um, and when you're younger, the things that are fun are often fun. And when you're older, like I said, unless that fun is... is, is, is Strict. That's my phone. You can answer if you like. Where did I lose it? That's a new sound on the podcast. No, that's uh, uh, where's that? That's the should Jack, we, that's we the answer Jack it? Bauer ringtone from um, 24. <laughs> should we answer it in case they want to join the podcast? No, that will go off in a minute. There um, we go. Um, no doubt they're going to ring us 10 times or you. So, what were we saying? Yeah, the, the problem is is that unless that, that play is structured, you know, that child play can be, can be damaging. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And it's so easy just to fall into those patterns. So, so I think, you know, that what, the stuff that I do, you know, open water swimming is good. Eating is good. Meditation is good. Journaling is really good. And when I get into journaling um, and just doing those standard things of, you know, waking up in the morning and, and having a, 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 just a journal book there and, and start off the day by trying to think of three things that you're grateful for, you know, and write them down. That yeah, gratitude. In, in itself is, is really important and, 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 and it's worked at times. But my biggest problem is that I'll be on a downward trend and I'll not be in a good place mentally and then I'll go, come on, you've got to sort this out and then I'll get involved in, 
in, in healthy mechanisms and then I'll feel better about myself. And as soon as I start to feel better about myself, I go, great, everything's good. And, and, and I fall back into, I reward myself by falling back into behaviors that are, that are toxic. Do you know what I mean? And then before you know it, so you end up just in this kind of up and down and up and down and, and it's just exhausting sometimes. Yeah. But you don't have, you know, sometimes you, you don't have anything else left than the kind of, you know, you know the, the quote that Churchill, always used to talk about you just just don't give up do you know what i mean you just have to keep going yeah. sometimes that is that is the, the that's, that's the only thing because what's the alternative you know the alternative is not keeping going and and, and that we have to fight for those good days don't we yeah, yeah absolutely because there are good days yeah well, good without days a shadow of a doubt yeah <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt and sometimes they're days and sometimes they're moments do you know what i mean and sometimes you know and i have days where I can be, you know, I, I can be in a good place for, for an hour, a bad place for two, back in a good place for another hour, back in a bad place for three. Do you know what I mean? And, and I have days like that. And other days I, I can be in a really good place for, for days on end. Mm. And other times you just get caught in a, in a really downward spiral. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, you just, got to, you just got to do what you know is the right thing to do. And also realise that it's never gonna, um, it's never gonna change. I think that, don't we, we, we kind of think that we're striving for some moment where everything will be all right, mm -hmm. you know. There was, um, I remember the book it was, but, um, you know, the, they, they often talk about how damaging, you know, classic myths are to us, ultimately, like they all lived happily ever after. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That, that's... Yeah, that's such an iconic kind of well, that kind of hero's journey. Yeah, you know, that, that. going on this journey and fixing everything. Yeah, and then, yeah I like do that. You, you, you fix all, everything, and then all they all they all lived happily ever after. And mm. and and if we think that we will all live happily ever after, then then we're in all sorts of trouble. Do you know what I mean? Because because you won't. But but I think there's this because we're, it's so instilled in us, certainly in in, in Westernized culture, that that idea that we can reach some sort of point where everything will finally be all right. Mm -hmm. I think that idea that people, you know, the people, it's like you were saying about, you know, being in the here and now, it's very easy to think that, that happiness is a destination. Mm -hmm. And if you think that happiness is a destination, you're in all sorts of trouble yeah. because you're chasing it for the whole of your life. Yeah. And you'll never ever, you'll never ever get there. Mm. But it is quite easy to fall into that pattern of just thinking, well, I'll be all right when, I'll be all right when, mm. and then you just keep going. So, um, so yeah, trying to live in the here and now and, and doing stuff that you know is good for you, good. even if it feels... Mm. But then, you know, plunging into a cold pool for yeah, like five it's, minutes, it's, and that's not boring, it's, it's is it? It's not boring. It's not, it's not fun, yeah. is it? It's not necessarily <laughs> but, fun. But the, but the adult in me does that, so the child can yeah, absolutely. the rest of the day. Yeah, you know. So, um, I had loads of sort of business sort of questions, and it feels <laughs> wrong to ask you about bit. Yeah, my battery's gone dead on, oh, has my, it? on my phone. But yeah, we've been we've been nattering on for a while, haven't we? We have, and yeah. um, that's been really insightful. The, the conversation, I think, uh, I've definitely gained a lot from this. This conversation. No, I've enjoyed it. It's been it's been great, and mm. it's it's you know it's good to talk. It is good to talk. It's good to talk, and it's good good to listen as well. And um, I, I I listen to your podcast. 
that you've, that you've Thank you. started. Well, I shall listen to yours. I yeah. have launched mine. You've launched yours. Maybe you've, you see, you're, you've, you've done quite a good thing because you're compiling all your episodes before you launch it. Yeah. So yeah, there's are you launching them as one or are you just going to launch a, there's them? There's a strategy. There's, right, okay. A, yeah, so the, the podcast will be launch, launched as a season. Right, okay. Um, so we're looking to put, or I'm looking to put t- 10 episodes together. Okay. Um, so what, what I'm trying to get away from is saying... I'm going to do this, right? Or, yeah, I'm I'm working on this and changing it to I'm doing this, right? Yeah, I've done this, yeah. So I've done a podcast, yeah, yeah. So in the future it would be, would you like to join my podcast? But yeah, it's cemented. Yeah. It's no longer a working process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to build up that that solid foundation, right? Uh, before I set it out onto the world for others to judge, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> criticize and. Um, yeah, and for, and to enjoy maybe yeah, possibly yeah, and to and to get something from it. To, you know, I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some some you know you've given a lot of knowledge and uh, a wealth of information that you shared with us today. Do what I, I said? <laughs> what I said? <laughs> Do I get to so? No, it's been um, no, it's been fascinating. It's been really interesting. Yeah. Because often, as I said, I don't. You know, I I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time talking to other people, mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of time you know, in that sort of um, environment where you're very focused on trying to create something and it's nice just to sit down and and talk. I just kind of hope it made some sort of sense. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. And uh, do you know what I would like to do? Is once we've both had a listen to this, in a few months' time, maybe sit down and have a have a recap. Yeah. And see if we can... See if we can make any sense. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. See absolutely. And then you can actually ask actually all the questions that you've got written down. Yeah, your... no, yeah, that was a conversation that you just had sat is... down and went, "How are you? What have you been up to?" And that was it. So. <laughs> but I think the conversation that's come out has been important. Cool. Good. Yeah. So, did you yeah, I think it? so. Yeah. On that note, thank you for thank you for listening. If anyone's listening, thank you very much indeed. And thank you, Phil. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Lovely. Ah, oh, that was fun. Yeah. Blimey. That was a, a session. It was. What is the time? Let's have a look. I'm truly grateful to my guests for joining me today and sharing. If you would like to find out more about my guests, you can do so in the description below. And as always, I'm grateful to you, the listener and the watcher. And so, as we continue on this journey of creative exploration together on the BTS Creative Academy podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe.